0: welcome to the self-love recovery podcast hosted by ross rosenberg psychotherapist author and ceo of the self-love recovery institute i am super excited for the third time i get to talk to one of my favorite people in the world an incredible friend a multi-talented and gifted coach and a sweet generous and incredibly kind man rick belden rick I think this is going to be the greatest discussion we've had so far. But before we begin, would you introduce yourself and tell our community more about yourself?
1: Absolutely. Uh, I want to second what you said, and I'm very pleased to have uh, another opportunity to visit with you. I am an author. I'm a poet. I'm a Coach, uh, and I have been working in the general area of healing, self development for about 30 plus years. I'm in my fifth year as a coach. I work primarily with men because that's what I know, but I also have many female clients as well. Rick
0: and I did this really great video called The Mother Wound. It resonated with a great many people, and we thought we wanted to do part two on the same subject and specialize on the topic of what is referred to as emotional incest. But before we begin, let me give you a basic clinical definition of emotional incest. Mm -hmm. And before I do that, I usually describe sexual incest. As uncomfortable as it makes people, it's necessary to understand one to get the other. Sexual incest is when a very sick, broken, pathological person meets their sexual, romantic, intimate needs with a powerless younger person who does not have the psychological or emotional ability to protect themselves. And over a period of time, they gaslight them, they groom them to believe that it is normal for a child and a parent to be involved sexually. And that tremendously traumatizes the child. And when they grow into adulthood, they experience tremendous psychological problems. Emotional incest is when an adult who cannot meet their emotional, social, personal, relational needs with other adults seeks a powerless victim, namely their own child, and convinces them in the same way as sexual incest was described, convinces them that is their role. That is what they're supposed to do. That makes them a good child and to not do it a bad child that child will be scarred and tremendously traumatized by not getting a chance to develop freely and to learn who they are and to experiment with their life, but be burdened with the responsibility of taking care of a parent and losing their childhood. We have this innate capacity to want someone to care for
1: us. It's more than want, it's need. It's survival-based. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Humans
0: and other mammals are wired to create offspring that biologically, neurologically, automatically, instinctually rely on their parent to take care of them. When all things are good, the parent has that same biological instinctual urge to take care of the children. And we call this bonding and attachment. That happens without thinking for most people. And I'm not saying it happens perfectly. But when it comes to pathological narcissists, people with a personality disorder, narcissistic, borderline, or antisocial personality disorder, they're so broken that they rely on the defenseless infant, toddler, child, mm-hmm. teen mm-hmm. to take care of their wounds so that it totally disrupts this process, which is completely and always has been necessary for the eventual positive mental health that they were going to experience as adults.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really great observation. And I think that's another another way to kind of frame this whole thing conceptually, which I think is important. Um, one of the issues that I'm particularly interested in with this, because it's come up so much for me, it's come up so much with clients, is the effect that that kind of emotional incest or that enmeshment experience as a child has on boundaries. And I'm wondering what you have to say about that from a clinical standpoint.
0: Okay, well, that's a great question. We understand that emotional incest is the disruption of a developmental process, a, a psychological process that has to happen for any child to grow up and feel autonomous, independent, develop a sense of self. And for those psychological mental health geeks out there or therapists, I'm talking about John Bowlby and Eric Erickson. And so through normal development, a healthy parent that knows when to allow a child to explore, to experiment, find their own voice, and pulling them in and taking charge, they develop an internal sense of boundary. I can do this. I am good at this. And therefore, I'm not going to be afraid to try And that leads to behavior, and it also forms this belief that the environment is a welcoming place for someone who has their own individuality, their Mm -hmm. own self-esteem, even if they make a mistake, especially if they make a mistake, there won't be severe consequences. So when you have this incredibly selfish, self-serving, pathologically narcissistic parent who cannot find anyone in their life because of their psychopathology to meet these social, emotional, relational needs, and they exploit their own child, the child at a very vulnerable age loses a sense of self, becomes afraid to exert him or herself in their environment, which means setting a boundary, not backing down when you think your boundary is right, exploring the world and seeing and feeling and believing that, they as individuals matter to other people. Yeah. So then by the time this child grows and develops, they become an adult who is not afraid to say what they want. And is also equally interested in hearing about what other people want. And that is the basis for boundaries. Yeah. If, if you don't want something, there's a, a response inside and it makes you feel it. And then you make a decision mm-hmm. To set a boundary. If you were the child that we're going to talk about, including you know, ourselves to some degree, we that child um, learned that there will be a punishment and they became an adult who became afraid of the consequence of being themselves and exerting oneself. So therefore, people with self-love deficit disorder or codependence have a big struggle with boundaries because they believe one they're not they're not worth it mm-hmm. not able and there will be a consequence and lastly it will
1: remind them of what you know i call and many others call their core shape one of the casualties of yeah. these kind of super enmeshed emotionally incestuous relationships between a parent and child the child has no sense of where he or she begins and ends yeah uh, because the child is treated as if they are a part, or an aspect, or a component, or as a you know a proxy, you know, of the adult. And so, how would they know? When you say talk to somebody who was uh, had that experience growing up, and as you said, didn't get to pass through the developmental gateways right. that give them the opportunity to develop a sense of self and understand what boundaries are, and that it you know yeah, people will challenge you, and that's okay. It doesn't mean you're going to die. Right. You know that kind of stuff how would they possibly know as adults? And so I, I, I get, I do a lot of boundary work with clients. Uh, And for a lot of people, well, mostly I'm working with men, a lot of them, their boundaries are, are situational. So they can have good, a lot of them are highly successful, highly functional professionals. So in a professional environment, the boundaries are clear for them, right? Somebody comes in and says, Hey, I need to get this done by Friday. It's like, well, this isn't even my responsibility, you know, or, Have you talked to my boss about that? You know, they they know what to do in that kind of constrained role in that situation. They go home and they're just a wreck because they don't know how to say what they need. They don't know how to say it more than once, uh, which is one of the things I had to learn when I first started doing boundary work. You know, in my own case, I was always happy. It's like if I actually put a boundary down with somebody, I was like, oh, wow, wow. Thank God that's over. <laughs> you know? and, then, and then you come right through it again. I was like what? You're not supposed to do this. I already told you. You know, um, it was shocking to me because I was inexperienced, and so that's one of the problems that we have, right? If we don't, if we don't pass through those developmental gateways where we get to develop and test, and grow and do the skill building around boundaries, when we start to do it as adults, you know, we we do it. One, we put a line one time and go, huh. Oh, all right, I mastered that, and then someone steps over. It's like, wait a minute, you're not following the rules.
0: <laughs> it's because of this attachment trauma, this horrible childhood abuse, which we now are talking about of childhood emotional incest, that there was this belief hammered into them, gaslit into them, that should they set a boundary, should they exercise independence, there will be incredible. Consequences. Now we are talking about, and, and this kind of factors in the attachment conversation, we're talking about a child that has no ability to defend themselves, that is completely dependent on his or her parent. That fear and anxiety provoke them to shut down and to comply. So now you and I are working with them as an adult. My approach in the treatment program is to get to the disassociated or unconscious elements of the damage that they're not conscious of. Because I will tell you, 50% of the people that have the capacity to understand and connect to this video will not because the trauma was so deep, it was disassociated. Talented folks like you are incredibly necessary therapists, coaches to teach what they don't know. But it's so important. It's incumbent upon us to recognize their failures are not because their inability to learn or execute new skills, but because of this learned helplessness, fear, and anxiety
1: that goes all the way back to their... Well, first of all, from a personal standpoint, I'm going to tell you the first time somebody suggested that emotional incest was a factor in my childhood, yeah, I freaked out because I hated the sound of it. Yeah, yeah. It really ugly. It sounds really gross. It sounds really awful. And I just sort of tucked that away for about five or six or seven years uh, because the language felt so charged to me that I have an entry point based on that. It was shocking. To hear and
0: I, I'm going to suggest, Rick, that there was a shame when you were a child experiencing it. You, like any other person with severe trauma, you Disassociated it. You forgot about it. Just just so that you wouldn't have to relive that trauma. So your reaction makes a lot of sense.
1: And and a lot of it also was the word incest is so strong that I just recoiled from it. Uh, I'm absolutely in agreement with you that there was a part of me that was aware at some level without being able to put the words to it that something wasn't the way it should be. But the exposure. To that knowledge, at that point in my life was something that I did not have the framing internally to handle. People talk about enmeshment. People talk about lack of boundaries. People talk about being uh, viewed as an extension or a proxy. You know, that's a quick way of describing a lot of my experience. I was there to play a role yeah. as if I was character in a play and didn't really have my own free will. But it was very much, in my case, also confidant, because the marriage between my parents was extremely stressful, a high conflict. My father's emotional capabilities were not what I would say at an adult level. I was the oldest. I was the first. I was my mother's confidant for a long period of time. And when I reached a certain point and I started to become more independent and become more my own person and more children came along, I was no longer needed.
0: Listening to what you said, it almost sounded like you made the decision to be this man-like partner to your mom to meet her needs. I don't think any child makes that decision. I think it just happens because of what they don't know, the vulnerability of their age and the gaslighting and the manipulation.
1: We make a lot of ill-informed decisions as children because we know that we need to please the the parents in order to survive. Now, you can't say that that is an example of someone making a decision with informed consent. Absolutely, because it's not. Yeah. Uh, But in my case, in the case of you know so many people I work with, you know, children in traumatic situations, they have an innate sort of understanding of like, this is what I need to do in order to get through this. For somebody like me, you know, I'm I'm naturally empathic, so. I would lean into that and leaning into that with my mother brought me into that kind of situation that we're talking about.
0: I think an example of my own experience with a form of emotional incest will help illustrate what it is and what impact it had with me as an adult. I remember when I was 17 years old, I had one of my early sexual experiences with a girl. And of course I was a boy. It's so funny because even back in my teen years, that human magnet syndrome, codependent attracted the narcissist thing played out. And, and she had this reaction, this anger and rage when I said, I didn't want to go out with her. And what she did was she told me she was pregnant. Mm. And the funny part is, and is of course there was no reason because of precautions that she should but I'm 16 or 17 years old and I'm flipping out, freaking out. And my mom, who was a seasoned SLD or codependent, she kind of got an idea what was going on and somehow got me to talk to her about it. And then she said, Rossi, I want to tell you something, but you can't tell anyone. And do you promise me? And I said, well, oh, yeah, of course. She, she proceeded to tell me about getting pregnant at age 17 and getting an abortion mm-hmm. behind her parents back. Mm-hmm. So I am completely overwrought with my own anxiety and fear of <laughs> being a dad, which is bizarre to saying that, mm-hmm. and all of the complicated stuff. And now I'm dealing with this, this information about my mom. I didn't wanna know my mom, let alone had sex, got pregnant and had an abortion. It right. was too much information. And for the rest of her life, I always felt the burden of that secret. Mm. It never, it didn't make me feel close to her. It didn't make me feel supported. It made me feel used, burdened by her secret so that I never went back to her with anything private like that again. And that is an example of one of the primary psychological processes that happen to the victim of emotional incest is they feel responsible over the adult, and they shut down their own needs or subsequent needs mm-hmm. to take or need or request for what they deserve and what the
1: parents should give them. So one of the things that strikes me in that story, is that she basically dropped out of parent mode. In that moment, you were going to her because you were in distress. Uh, you were, you know, this is another one of those, it's another one's kind of developmental gateway, there's at least one time where there's a scare. What do you do? Well, I, I take it you weren't comfortable going to your father. Oh, the, my, the big bad narcissist in my life who I stayed away from. Oh, you betcha. I didn't go him. Right. So that left. So, so you started out with two choices. Now you're down to one. Okay. So you went to the parent that you felt could actually make and hold the emotional space for you in that moment. And what she did was impose upon you to make and and hold emotional space for her in that moment. And you didn't get anything out of that, that you needed in, in that moment for yourself. And you came away with it with, some not, not just knowledge, but a sort of interaction that you didn't want to have. Right. It, it was a boundary violation. Yes. So
0: this is why I brought up the similarities of sexual incest and emotional incest. I felt violated. Right. I, That's I, the word that kept coming up for me when you're saying like, this is a violation. Yeah. See, I was in such a dysfunctional home with a detached codependent mom and a horribly narcissistic father. And next thing you know, I am burdened with this secret that made me feel ashamed of her in a weird way, which I look back at it, you know, you know, I was 16, I'm not the 61 year old right. therapist that gets things and feel embarrassed to even talk about it. It, it impacted my relationship with my mom. And so would you,
1: would you say Ross, that she shifted into a narcissistic mode in that moment? You just brought up a point that I addressed so many times you know, in
0: my human magnet syndrome book, I talk about everyone has um, moments of selfishness, moments of of inappropriate or potentially hurtful decision-making. So my mom was a chronic caretaker. Yes. And she was not a narcissist. Her whole idea of right or wrong was broken as a child. So in her mind, she wanted to help me. She wanted to take my pain away. Um, she wanted to give me solace, but she didn't have the emotional skills, the relational skills to give me what I really needed. And so it wasn't narcissistic. It was poor judgment mm-hmm. that is is very common with a lot of SLDs. You no, know, Rick, I think this discussion really brings up an essential point that the victims of emotional incest, they grow up and unknowingly pass on their trauma to the next generation. Mm -hmm. They'll marry a narcissist. There'll be a high probability that one of their children will face exactly what they did. And because of this trauma, their adult life will indelibly be stained with this potentially lifelong self-love deficit disorder. I love this discussion because it, it exemplifies and illustrates all of the complexities to this subject. You know, I was thinking, Rick, if you'd read a poem, because that last video we did together, your poem was absolutely phenomenal. And by the way, for people that don't know it, he's a poet.
1: <laughs> so I, th- I think you
0: plagiarized that. <laughs> <laughs> your poetry is phenomenal. I think this would be a great opportunity, Mr. Poet.
1: So uh, I'm going to read a poem. That I call mother space and this is about some of the aspects of my relationship with my mother at the point when I was working through these things that reflects back to some of the things we've talked about today. She octopus of love I can still feel your soft tentacles wrapped up tight around my heart and lungs squeezing out blood and oxygen across the years and miles to soothe your timeless wounds. I am your baby boy hologram, created to give you purpose and make you feel worthwhile. I am your life preserver, born wide-eyed and innocent into your world of choppy seas and sinking ships. I am your personal relic, frozen in time and space, thawed and refrozen as required to satisfy your needs You taught me to keep myself small, to be the best listener, to put my needs last, to sacrifice myself, to wait my turn forever, to be ashamed of myself, to swallow every tear. You taught me to defer to the feminine, to accept the blame, to hide my power, to keep quiet, to keep the peace. You taught me that a man should be harder on himself than he is on anyone else. You taught me that it's better to get sick than to speak up. You taught me how to listen to lies and how to be replaced when the next shiny star caught the wandering eyes of the one I adored. You are the Minotaur's mate in the center of the maze. Your words and your actions live in parallel universes. Your skin reflects my every weakness back at me. You caress me with one hand and hold my head under water with the other. You come for me time after time in various ways, in various forms. Every woman who enters my life is you or becomes you, a young girl who doesn't know better or an old woman who doesn't want to. You can't see me and you don't know me, but you won't admit it and you won't let me go. Would it kill you to set me free? Would it kill you if I free myself?
0: Wow, you sent me that poem and I read it a few times, but hearing you read it helps me understand the brilliance of it. It, it explains it
1: perfectly. Bravo, right? Bravo. Thank you. Uh, when I read that line, every woman who enters my life is you or becomes you, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, <laughs> Like I still, you know, there's still some energy around that for me. You know, I really felt this, I felt that, and I wrote this, I probably wrote this seven years ago when I was really in the thick of that struggle of, is it okay for me to unbind myself from this complex of enmeshment that I've spent my life in? And as you can tell by the, the messaging in the poem, I wasn't there yet. I was still at the point of, what is this? You know how do i describe this how does it feel and then at the very end that feeling that a lot of us i think have when we're we're bound to a, a parent in that sort of unhealthy way particularly i think it's true with a mother wound for men right. Is like if i break away i'm going to be responsible for for something bad happening to her she can't survive without this so I can't survive in it. She can't survive if I if right. I get away from it. So what do I do?
0: I have this picture of her reaching out. She, uh, you both jump off of both that's sinking, and she reaches out to you to save herself, and right. you drown
1: as she gets gets enough strength to swim to the boat. Right. She stands on my shoulders while I'm up to here. Exactly.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, Thank you for sharing that, Rick. Um, your, your your work is remarkable. Well, brother, I cannot thank you enough for being a part of this really important discussion. Good. So thank you. Thank you very much for being a part of it.
1: Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about these things and to share my thoughts in a way that is hopefully uh, going to uh, lead to some productive decisions and actions and state changes and so forth And Anybody that hears this, they can they can dig in, they can learn more, they can check in and say, where am I in this process? Right. You know?
0: Tell people how to get a hold of you, how to
1: find some of your work, your poetry, your coaching. Sure. Uh, if you're interested in employing my services as a coach, I offer a free 30-minute discovery session. And you can get on my calendar by going to rickbuilding And you can also see you know, some descriptive information about how I approach the process to kind of give you some more insight into uh, how I go about this with people and what my background is. And my parent website is rickbelden.com. That's my main website. And that has links to excerpts from my poetry books. It has links to articles I've written. It has links to my YouTube channel on my social media and everything else. Okay. Everyone, goodbye. And thank you so much, Rick. You bet. I'll see you next time, Ross.